Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. Uh, we come to you during the probably the biggest week of the year uh, for for UCLA football fans, but just for for UCLA fans in general. Uh, it is Beat SC Week. It is the week we always wait for. It is always a fun week. Especially when uh, we have a good shot of beating them. It's always uh, significantly more fun. But unfortunately, before we jump into that game, we have to talk about last week's game briefly. You're going to make me relive and that? You're going to make me think about that you again? You know, I, I, as painful as it is, yes, I think we need to at least acknowledge the, I don't, the train wreck. <laughs> that was UCLA football last weekend against Arizona at home at the Rose Bowl. It could not have been any worse. And the ugly head that has been the UCLA football defense, for better or worse, the last decade, it feels like, finally reared its head this year. And we... Resulted in losing to a team that had only won three games to that point. Truly, 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 truly pathetic, uh, pathetic game from all aspects of of the defense. But I don't want to put that completely on the defense because I do think the offense had a part to play in this loss. What did uh, What did you see out there? They had a big part to play in it. Um, so first off. There's a lot of ways you can analyze the game. Um, you can analyze it from, you know, hey, the defense was is is a pile of garbage right now, and, and you'd be right. You can say that you already know that the defense, uh, you know, was going to be bad, and therefore, like, the pressure on the offense has always been there to continuously sustain drives, put points on the board. Um, and you'd be right probably in taking both of those takes. Uh, I'll actually just put this down to... Uh, to, to to one simple thing, and that's this. I think UCLA lost the battle of the line of scrimmage uh, on on both sides here. Um, on on the defensive line, I mean Arizona was was able to run the ball pretty consistently that whole first half. I was stunned when I looked at the box score because watching that game live, it looked like Michael Wiley could get whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. But then you look at the box score and it's twenty one carries for ninety seven yards. I don't know how that 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 even equates because that, that first half, it felt like he was getting a comfortable five, six yards to carry. And then Jaden Delora. Yes. He, he made some, some big heroic plays and yes, he did extend drives and there were some real, really painful long yardage plays that he made on third and long and, and fourth and short and second and long. And, and th- that kept drives alive. And those were really excruciatingly painful, but all the ultimately like UCLA didn't get the pressure on him that they have been getting in in some of these other games that they've had up to this point. And that defense, our defensive line, I thought got pushed around a bit. They break contain a lot. Um, You know, Jaden Delora was able to run uh, and scramble around and make broken plays into some, some big gold for them. And that's really concerning because the the quarterback we're about to play this week is about as anybody good is as good as anybody you know that's not Patrick Mahomes at, at doing that kind of stuff. So that's concerning from that level. And then on the offensive side, you know, again, UCLA ran the ball very well, but I thought Arizona got enough pressure on on DTR to where you'd probably have to say that this was probably the worst game of the year that he's played. 
Um, and and again, like that's just that's just by his lofty standards that he set for himself this year. Uh, but tried to break the pocket a lot in this game. Tried to. He, I think there was a feeling. I don't know if this was a coaching thing coming into this game or not, but someone told him that you're going to be able to break contain and just run all over the place. And he did it, and he kept doing it, and it, I thought that killed a few drives. Garrett DiGiorgio really struggled on that side, um, and they got enough pressure to where I thought there was enough drives that were affected. And in the end, um, you know, we still came had a had a throw that looked like it could come up in there and win us the game, but it wasn't good enough. And it's what we talked about kind of the whole year, right? When when the defense is this bad it puts that much pressure on the offense to where you can lose games like this. Like you could lose to anybody when your defense is playing this badly. I I agree. I think what was absolutely shocking was the fact that our offense actually stalled out at key times against Arizona's defense, which is worse than our defense, which is shocking to say. I know statistically our defense actually doesn't rank terribly because some of those early games, but Arizona's defense coming into this game was just categorically bad. Might have been w- the worst defense in the Pac-12 after Colorado's. Like, they are not a good defense. And there was an easy formula here. We just needed to keep running the ball. And Zach Charbonnet did that incredibly well. Carried it for 24, or 24 times for 181 yards and three touchdowns. Like, he had a spectacular game. And I think he was probably the only bright spot here. To your point, I think DTR was just weirdly like he statistically didn't play a terrible game if you look at his stat line right he threw for 245 yards threw for a touchdown no picks but he just he just you know he missed a lot of throws he would looked rushed he was looking to run too often I mean even the throw at the end of the game to Jake Bobo Bobo was wide open and I know he was on the run a little bit but if he just puts a little touch on that, floats it just a tiny bit, that's a touchdown. Like, that's an easy touchdown. And he just he just looked off this game for whatever reason. And, and it stalled the whole offense. And it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that this offense stalled against Arizona's defense. Like, it truly, I just, I, I could not believe what I was watching. Particularly after I, last week, right? Because last week, it didn't matter who the back was and, and who was doing what. You said they ran all, all, just up and down the field, and Arizona's rush defense was worse. So you would think that that could have been done at any point in time. Right. Now, I know we were a little shorthanded in the running back uh, group, right? We we saw Colson Yankoff have a couple of carries, but Cashman Allen was hurt. Keegan Jones was out of this game. I know TJ Harden has been hurt. Like, we have had some injuries behind Charbonnet. And, and, you know, Charbonnet himself has been injured on and off throughout the season. But it just, I I just, I don't understand why we didn't give Yankoff more carries. We didn't try to run DTR in more of a structured fashion, not like, hey, break contain and try to take off or, or you know, make throws on the, like, I just, the, the game plan was just bizarre. It didn't feel like we were prepared for this game. And we talked about this last week. Like, this was the classic trap game where you have a putrid team coming into your home right before a potential massive, massive showdown. 
and we we fell into the trap hard. We fell into the trap hard. It is it, it was a shame because now we've really shot ourselves in the foot with the Pac-12 standings, with you know the playoff berth. I think is out of the question, but. Even getting into the Pac-12 championship game now has become very, very muddy. I'm not going to even try to attempt to go into all those scenarios right now. But if, if, I, if I understand correctly, we need to win out and we need to make sure and hope that Oregon actually wins, beats Utah and Wazoo beats UW. I think that is the clearest path that we have. But can, I just, can, whole, I, can I just say this about these rules? I mean, rule book for the Pac-12 tiebreaker. But regardless, I think it's just insanely deflating to have the the Pac-12, you know, potential birth to the Pac-12 game, a potential birth to the the playoff. You know, it was a long shot. A potential birth to the Rose Bowl now has become more difficult, and all of that was, you know, in our grasp, within our own control. And to lose and fumble that away to a team like Arizona is just, I, I can't even, it's so goddamn frustrating. But also like the most UCLA thing of all time. Like, I think we were joking about this, like, this is going to be the most UCLA thing to lose this game. Like, just watch. I know we were joking, like, I didn't actually believe we would, but it it also isn't the comp- most, like, most shocking thing in the world, sadly. Yeah, so so first off, like, those tiebreaker rules that you were talking about, leave it to the Pac-12 to make some weird, bizarre rules that nobody understands that, like, like because in any other athletic competition, right, because athletics is really simple. Two teams play and one team wins and one team loses, right? So in this world where... US, let's say we beat SC this weekend and Oregon beats Utah, you would have a four-way tie with UCLA, USC, Washington, and Utah. And in any other athletic competition out there, the team that beats the other three teams in the tiebreak would go to the championship game. But the Pac-12, right, it can't be that simple. So Because they, they want to try to get into the playoff and they made all these re- weird convoluted rules that say you got to look at common record of opponent and, non, and all these weird things that, like you said, it's not even worth going over. Now, with all that said, I'll say this. It's not all dead yet. It's, it's, it's not all dead just yet. Uh, we got a big game this weekend. If we win that game, we still have a chance to do some special things. L- look, I mean, we want to go to the Pac-12 championship game, and there, there's a lot of things that have to break our way for that to happen now. But we can beat USC. That's always a goal of, our, of ours in any football season that we have. We can still try to win 10 games. And if we do that, then, then there's still a shot at a New, Year, New Year's Six Bowl, even if it's not the, the Rose Bowl, right? There's still a shot at a lot of these things here. So, yes, the Arizona loss was deflating. It was really bad. It was a very UCLA thing to do. It spells just like 2005 when... You know, the, the unbeaten season you was ruined by, by, by Willie Tuitama in Arizona, right? Now, hopefully, we don't go pull what we did against SC that year. God, that was really bad. Um, but there's still a lot to play for. And this upcoming weekend, I mean, it, it's been boiling down to this weekend for a really long time for so many reasons. And I think, look, it, it's still out there. So, yes, we lost Arizona. It was terrible. 
it's not done. We we have a chance at a good year here, and and for all the stuff that the talk about like oh well, does this just justify all the things about Chip? Like let's hold on to that for one week because so much of the equation every year does come down to this game and this rivalry. It does come down to you know can you win the rivalry game? Um, that that's a huge part of the equation at UCLA, and so that's what this week's about now. Yeah, absolutely. I think for Chips. Uh, job security, like, he needs to win this game. I don't know if he cares about job security. Who knows what the hell is going on in his brain. But, you know, to, to I think, to get, get himself some level of security, he needs to win this game. Um, I think for the fans, regardless of what happens with the tiebreak, regardless of what happens, you know, and also, like, before we even get into that, I, I wouldn't be surprised to beat SC and then somehow lose to Cal. Like, that would also be a very UCLA thing to do. But I digress. We're, I think we're, for we're fans, not losing to Cal. We'll get to that later. <laughs> we said the same thing about Arizona. <laughs> so, um, anyways, I, I think for the fans, I think for the UCLA community, if anything, if we could ruin USC season, like, I'd be happy with that. Uh, I will be ecstatic to knock them out of the 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 Pac-12 race, knock them out of the CFBP uh, race. Like that would be bring me immense joy just to see that alone. Besides the bragging rights and all that kind of stuff, ju- uh, that that aspect of it is should be motivation enough, in my opinion, for this team. But you know, you're right. We are not fully dead yet. There are still chances for us to. Make some, uh, make some noise and get into a big, big bowl game if we if the chips fall our way. Um, yeah, look, I, I'm I'm a sucker for rivalry games. Um, I, I just oh, think yeah. it's it, it's what makes college football so special, and, and this is a special game. Um, it it all it's always been a special game. Um, you know, it's the two best teams in this conference uh, since the history of this conference, right? I mean, SC has the most conference championships. UCLA has the second most conference championships. Uh, and and Rick Neuheisel talked about this when he was the coach here, especially when you go back to the 80s. Um, you know, it used to be that you would wake up in the morning and you watch Ohio State and Michigan. And then in the afternoon, you would watch this game. And this game would have stakes for the Pac-8, you know, Pac-10, right? There's many versions of the, of the Pac-12 conference, right? But basically, like, you know, those two games would play out and then that would be the Rose Bowl. And then those the winner of those games would go and play in the Rose Bowl, um, a lot of times it ended up at least one of the winners would, would go to the Rose Bowl, right? And this game historically has had those kind of stakes, um, and it's very rare that both teams have been bad. That's happened a couple times in the last 10 years uh, here, but it, it's really rare. It's always been a special game. Um, and again, for, for UCLA, any football season that, that happens, right? If, if they're really good and they lose to SC, there's like this deflating feeling about that. And if they're really bad and then they lose to SC, it's just like all the, the things you thought about the team, it all has been confirmed by that one game. A lot of it does go into this game. And, and I'll give Chip this um, because he, he's not a big talker. He doesn't talk a whole lot about, you know, rah-rah stuff and hyping up games. Uh, but I do think secretly that, that Chip has emphasized this game in his own way uh, because somehow uh, – you know, he's always planned well for USC. Uh, UCLA's offense has always shown up since he's been the coach here. And I, I also wonder in just some weird way last week that if 
we were doing what we were doing on offense purely because we were not going to run some stuff to keep it for SC as well as to keep guys healthy for USC. Um, so, you know, that, that I, I, I do wonder if that's there. Uh, but it's a special game. It's a big game for him because, you know, you win this game, you win, you go a long way towards winning back your fan base and, and getting people on your side. Uh, so, again, for Chip Kelly, the opportunity is here. You go win this game against that coach and that quarterback. And that first year that, with all the hype they're, they're, they're putting out there, um, you know, it, it'll be big for you. It, it, it really will be. Yeah, and he's, what, currently 2-2 two and two against SC? He's two and two. Now, one of those was that weird game in the COVID year where UCLA basically was 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 winning the entire game, then ended up losing at the end. Um, but you know, two and two never scored less than thirty five points in this game. So, you know, he, he's always he's always had a decent plan when it came to the USC game. Somehow better than the other games. I've no, I've I've felt. Yeah, and it makes sense. And I think having that winning record against SC, again, will give him some leeway with the fan base, with the administration, with donors. Like, it it does go a long way. Now, we can get into whether or not that's right or whether or not that is actually going to pan out for UCLA in the long run. I'm not going to talk about that right now, but I I, I, think... For all the reasons you said, I'm also very excited about this game. Always am. Do I feel slightly robbed that this isn't a top 10 bigger deal than it could be? Yes, I am. I'd I'd be fooling myself to to say I wasn't. But it's always a big year. I generally do not miss this game regardless of the the implications of rankings or how good teams are or where it's being played. And, and it's, you know, it does feel more important this year, even after the loss. So I'll I'll say that much. And yeah, I'm excited for the game. And I think we're, we're going to see two very similar teams really play each other. Both have very, very good offenses. Both are not very good on defense. And I think we will see lots of points scored, probably lots of broken plays it result in in big chunks of yards gained, probably some long touchdown um, plays. Like It's going to be a very high-scoring shootout-type game. As I say that, watch this game be like a 10-9 like, slugfest. Just watch. Like, <laughs> I, it's not going to be ten to nine. I, 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 I think a slugfest in this means it was like twenty eight to twenty four. Like that, that means slugfest in this game, um, because both teams are strong where the other team is weak. When when we talk about the offense versus defense matchups for both these teams, uh, USC is terrible against the run. They're ninety seventh against the run. UCLA is first in the nation in yards per carry. Right, so like that's a clear strength on weakness matchup there. On the other side, USC, uh, surprisingly, I mean their their offensive line by Pro Football Focus and some other metrics is rated really highly. In some cases, the best, and in some cases, you know, a top five offensive line. And we saw Jaden Delora do all that scrambling and running around stuff against us again. Caleb Williams is as good as anybody that's out there in in recent college football at making plays off schedule. 
So, and, 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 and Lincoln Riley, like the way that we play defense with that cover two shell and just like vanilla looks, he's as good as anybody at manipulating those and getting linebackers in conflict and making your slow guys look really slow. So on both sides, you got strength on weakness. Who can manipulate the other's weakness a little bit more? Whose weakness can be a little bit less of weakness on the day? Um, you know, these are all things I think that end up determining probably who's going to win the game. I, I, I personally, I think that I have three three keys uh, in, in to, to me in this game. Um, the first one is, again, really simple, the line of scrimmage. And that's when UCLA has the ball, we have to be able to run the ball. We're going to run the ball well, right? I think we're going to be able to run the ball well. But for, for USC, uh, I mean, that pass rush, it can get nasty. Um, have you seen Tuli Tuipalato play? I mean, he's leading leading the nation in sacks. I have. I Ima- have. Imagine, imagining him against Garrett DeGiorgio right now, like, a couple weeks ago, I wasn't maybe as scared of of this of that defense, but that one matchup right there could change the game to me. Um, and so, like that's an area that we have to keep the pocket clean. And on the other side, we're gonna have to find a way to slow down the run game. Um, obviously, Travis Dye is hurt. He's 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 not gonna be be available for the game. But SC's backups, you know, with Austin Jones and Relique Brown. Relique Brown is a five-star recruit. Austin Jones, the transfer from Stanford. A, a probably less known fact about Lincoln Riley teams, because uh, I watched a lot of Lincoln Riley. Right, like wife went to Oklahoma, so there's a lot of Link- Lincoln Riley has been on the house over the last few years. A, a less known fact about his teams, they're actually a run-first team. His, his his best teams are when they have the running game, and then you you can create really simple looks off of that to where now you have all these crazy receivers and actions and motions really making stuff happen. If UCLA cannot slow down the run, and and that's not by slowing down the run by putting extra numbers in the box. That's just by slowing down the run by winning your individual matchups. I don't know if we can get a single stop in this game, not one. Uh, Because like if we're having to commit numbers and like not, not, not stop these guys for like five, six yard gains, that's when Lincoln Riley gets really dangerous and he starts moving around your linebackers and, and moving people around to where he just basically gets the big plays that he wants. Um, so the line of scrimmage, I think, is one. The other is turnovers. I think, obviously, where we can create ex- extra possessions in a game that's going to be a shootout is going to be big. And the final one is quarterback play. Um, this is this is going to be a lot of, you know, Caleb Williams against DTR and, you know, who can, can make those those big plays who can avoid the the big mistakes? Uh, it's gonna. I mean, some, sometimes the stuff is really simple, and in a game like this, it, it might could just come down to that. I think UCLA has to win at least two of those three things uh, if if they're gonna win the game. Yeah, I, I I just don't see us stopping their passing attack here, right? Like you mentioned, that's that's one of their biggest their biggest strengths. It's probably our biggest weakness across all our team. Like we we just we play soft coverages. We don't we're not physical with receivers. And I know Jordan Addison has been on and off injured. Um Mario Williams may or may not play. It doesn't matter, I think, with, with SC receivers. Like the one or both of those guys could be out. They still have five other five star guys lined up and 
the way our 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 DBs play, like they're they're gonna get smoked. I think the the other piece that we need to make sure that we are limiting are just really large chunk plays. Um, we've largely been okay at doing that for the most part this season. I think a lot well, of we, that we didn't give do... up a chunk play last week. Um, surprisingly, like we got to right. give up a lot, a lot of other plays, but not not a huge 50-60 yarder. Right, and and a lot of that actually has to do with having Mo Osling back there, who has been a tackling machine, really limiting that. But this is the type of offense that you can give up quick scores very, very easily to them. Um, you know, Williams will make some magic if we can't hit home on, on the pass rush and someone will catch the ball 40, 50, 60 yards down the field and we're going to get smoked. I was looking at the stats earlier today for total offense yards. We're uh, so UCLA currently is fifth in the in the country. We're averaging five hundred four yards. SC is actually seventh, and they're averaging five hundred or four hundred ninety nine yards. So we're gonna see if you know averages stay true here, like over a thousand yards of offense in this game potentially. That is insane. Yeah, and I fully believe it. I fully believe it. Look, like, SE's linebackers, like, they're just guys. Um, Like, none of them are going to be playing at the next level. Uh, Most of their secondary is is kind of the same thing. So it's it's really just Tui Tui Pilatu, who's just a menace out there, and they got some some other talent in their defensive line. But we're going to be able to run the ball. Like, if if we can just get to the second level, like, Zach Charbonnet is going to have a day. Uh, and, and Zach's uh, had a day on them already. Zach's Last had season, a day, and and, and 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 I just spoke a lot about how Lincoln was great at you know all the formations and manipulating things and all that. That defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, I've never been a fan. I've never ever been a fan. Um, not at Ohio State. I wasn't a fan of him as, at Oklahoma, and over here, I, I think they have a lot of turnovers. They got a lot of interceptions, but a lot of that was early in the year against some really inferior competition. The defense it's is really spooky. It it felt like that, right? And, and SC has felt a little fluky um, throughout the year. Like, really, I think it's just it, it's Caleb Williams that makes their team because you take out Caleb Williams and insert like pretty much most other quarterbacks, and you probably have like a a six and four team over there, um, or or a five and five team because like they they've had really close games. But again, like he just he he makes that magic happen. So. In theory, UCLA should be able to run the ball and then off of that create a lot of mismatches and looks. We, You know that Chip's got some special stuff in there uh, that, that he's about to bring out in this game. And I think he's got some special stuff. I'm not sure if Lincoln Riley has been saving anything unique for this game. And, and this is another kind of interesting storyline to follow you know, DTR, he, he was asked about the rivalry, and he, he made it really clear what he thinks about it, the passion he has <laughs> he for it, right? He hates those guys. He hates those guys. And then they asked Caleb Williams the same question, and he's like, oh, yeah, I haven't, heard, I haven't learned too much about it. You know, it's just another game to me. Like, these guys aren't from here, right? So, like, passion, like, all those that other stuff, like, does it play a factor? Is it going to help? Like, that's another interesting thing to follow here. Yeah, that's a good point, right? I think UCLA has a lot to, both teams have a lot to play for, but I think that extra fire in their bellies of playing against these guys, 
Granted, I think this SC team is really so rebuilt from last year's team with so much turnover and so many transfers coming in. Like, there's a pretty big shift in that team and who the personnel were. But I'm sure there's going to be some overlap. But our guys, I think, in general, this team in general, has a lot more experience. Obviously, Charbonnet, DTR have played in this game. We have, you know, a lot of experience coming back that has played in this game. So... They, I think if if we can play with controlled emotion, that can play in our in our favor here. We just need to not let it get the best of us, and um, you know that's it has in, in past games. It doesn't always hurt us. My 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 favorite example of this was Caleb Benenock, and was that twenty fourteen when we beat them at the Coliseum for the first time in in years, where he punched the uh the defensive lineman in the helmet <laughs> yep. like the first or second quarter like very early on like we don't want to do that but if we can use that fire in our bellies to to motivate ourselves to you know really take this game and their play to the next gear then i think we can we can use that to our advantage um the other thing that's that could be a factor in this game surprisingly is is the crowd uh, UCLA actually so has sold out the Rose Bowl, at least the seats they've made available, which they've announced were 70,000 seats, which is the, the majority of the Rose Bowl. I think they're going to have one end zone, essentially, still covered up. I don't know how I feel about that. Clearly, it seems like they would have probably sold more seats if they had filled it up, but, you know, who knows? Uh, I, I, I'm curious to see what this crowd looks like. We will both actually be at the game. Um, yes, we will. So we'll we'll be we'll be hopefully contributing to a sea of blue. But you know the athletic department talked about only releasing six thousand seats to SC. Now you obviously can't control the secondary market, but we'll see what this crowd looks like. But I, I do think a, a heavy crowd in favor of UCLA could play a factor in this game. Like we could maybe for once. In a very long time for UCLA, uh, impact a game with with crowd noise. We'll see. Yep. So again, I think Mikey's were quarterback line of scrimmage turnovers. You you added two, I think, pretty good ones there that that are I think just as important: limiting the big plays and tackling. Um, yeah, like that offense, they love to live off big plays, and and they thrive when they can get those receivers and really good matchups, and they can just use their speed and 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 kill you that way. So yeah, tackling I think is definitely going to be a huge deal in this game. I think both of us are not going to predict UCLA to lose. So, so UCLA I never do. And, and, right? No, never. Not um, this one. I think for UCLA to win, uh, you know. Our, our our best players are going to just have to step up and uh, and and take the game on, and I think it's really just going to be as simple as that. Caleb against DTR, Zach Charbonnet against some of their skill guys, and it'll be a fun game. I'm I'm excited for it. Fox has got it on on their prime time slot. You know, Joel Klatt, Gus Johnson are not going to do the big noon game. They're going to come down to LA uh, and and do this game instead because. Uh, for them, they're 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 betting on on USC and UCLA as well being being a big deal. You know, it's fun. It's it's the week, game of the week in college football. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, I always prefer when this game used to be 
Thanksgiving weekend, but that's a different story. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I'm excited about this game. I'm nervous about this game. I would be a complete train wreck if this were actually a top 10 matchup. Uh, so maybe in that regard, like it was a good thing for, for my health, um, that we actually lost last week, but I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be one for the ages. I think, I think it's going to be a stressful game. I think we're just going to be a lot of back and forth. Uh, we're not going to see a whole lot of punting in this one and we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, we, uh. We will have our fingers crossed, and I will be yelling obscenities at the top of my lungs uh, at the Rose Bowl on Saturday at 5 o'clock. So I'm looking forward to it, and hopefully we will come to you guys next week with a, with a, a more happy and excited, uh, excited episode with a, with a W. But we will see. We will see. All right, so... You mentioned we we got two places we can go next. You mentioned the Cal game next week. I don't think we're going to lose to Cal. Um, shall we go here first, or shall we go to basketball? Uh, let's go to basketball. Let's talk about something something uh, positive for now. All right, basketball. <laughs> Basketball's very we... positive. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. We have a squad, man. We have a squad this year. Get hyped. Uh, I mean, we've, I think we've seen the stats at this point, right? I mean, it's been a long time since UCLA has won three straight games by 24 points. Uh, but more, but more. Yeah. Than, since like 1978. Yeah. I mean, like you would think that we play enough cupcake states early in the year, but I mean, especially since we've started watching, there's always like that one game where it's like a disappointing game and you only won by 10 or I mean, we've lost these games, uh, over yeah, the years Yeah. We lost well. like Monmouth. Seven eight years ago, we lost to Cal State Fullerton. We lost to Loyola Marymount. I mean, I I I remember all these, right? So so like I could list them all out. Mid Tennessee State, um, uh, but but yes, yeah. I mean, hey, the, the, the those days make make this much sweeter. But yeah, UCLA is 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 three and zero. I think the thing that I really really liked about these first three games, we improved from game to game in in different areas. Um, you know, the first game, the freshmen were were really raw. Um, Adam Bunna didn't play. Amari Bailey was 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 pretty raw that game. He's improved each and every game to where like it looks like he's starting to settle into some kind of role where he can be a ball handler, he can be a scorer. That's positive. The ball is moving, um, especially in that last game. Like it was moving. Jalen Clark, man. Um, I mean, at this point, like he's not going to keep this up. This is it's unsustainable to keep this up, but. I really think that UCLA's execution, their attention to detail in these first three games is in large part to do with Jalen Clark. Like, I mean, he comes out there and he is, he's throwing his hands all over the place. He's swatting balls. He's getting steals, getting deflections. And that just like picks everyone up and every picks everyone up. Now everyone's moving, the ball's moving. And then everything kind of just goes from there. Uh, right now, like he's, he's really been the spark plug. And I think these, this coming weekend, the competition's about to get a lot better. And I think we're going to continue to need that from him because like when he gets some of those plays and that those, those opening minutes, it just picks everyone up and everyone just goes to another level. 
he has been that X factor we've been talking about for a couple of years. And now he's finally fulfilling not only that X factor role, but he's becoming, uh, I, um, I'm afraid to say it out loud because it feels hyperbolic, but like it feels like he is becoming our best all-around player. Like he does everything on the court. On defense. Hey, no, no, like no. He, he has a lot to work on. You hear that NBA scouts? <laughs> he he he's got a lot to work on. He <laughs> But but you know, I think his biggest knock in in the past was his offense, right? He's always been a tenacious defender. He's always used his athleticism well. Um, but he's taken that to the next level, it feels like. Like, he, he has the knack, just that unnatural knack to get, to get to the ball and steal it, knock it away and steal it. I haven't seen that in a guy since probably Jordan Adams about, you know, nine, nine years ago now. But he, he does it with, with a level of athleticism that Jordan didn't, didn't possess. But he, he just gets to the ball. But on the offensive side now, like, he's finishing at the rim. He's, you know, dunking the ball. He's getting layups. He's, you know, showing moves. But on top of that, like, he's showing off an actual three-point stroke. Like, he can shoot the ball. Like... Last season, he barely shot threes. And, you know, when he took them, he made a couple. didn't look pretty or kind of ugly. You know, he clanked a bunch. He's shooting it with confidence and hitting three-point shots. Like, I, I, I was... And, I mean, I think he needs to remain consistent there. And we'll see how if he keeps it up. But even if he becomes an average three-point shooter, like... That it will be enough to where people will need to respect him from deep. Like he he is showing off a complete arsenal of tools here, um, and it's it's been a joy to watch. I'm like I I have been ecstatic. Like he's always been our fa- one of our favorite guys. Just with always the, has. the level of energy, right? Always has. But he's yeah. He's good. He he always has been. Um, you know I I think you listened to Mick at the post game last time and and. I, I just thought that it really summed it up. This program is about player development. I mean, players get better at UCLA. Tiger Campbell was not a shooter when he came here. He's an elite shooter now. Jalen Clark was not a shooter. He he didn't have much of an offensive game at all when he came here. He's averaging, what now, 17 points a game to start the year? Um, so far. So far, right? I mean, David Singleton, who we, we, we haven't even talked about yet. I mean, that guy, I mean... He's the guy that when he comes in, the lead's like six. And then like two minutes later, it's like 15 and the game's over because he just hits a couple threes and then it breaks the whole game open. And David Singleton, you know, he, he may have just been like a spot-up shooter, but right now he's doing much more than that. He's, he's, he's can, he can pump pick people out. He can drive and finish at the rim. He's got a one-dribble pull-up now. He's got more to his game too. Amari Bailey in just three games, we've seen him go from what he was that first game to get better and better each game. Players get better at UCLA, man. Um, and I mean, we haven't talked about basketball recruiting in a long time, but but all all, all these the, the narratives and stuff out there about you know Mick not playing guys and stuff. Some of it maybe deserved because of what happened last year. But you just look at the guys who come here, what they were for when they get, got here, and what they are when they leave. I mean, it's it's just obvious. At, at least to us, it's obvious. I, I get why it might not be obvious to you know the average high schooler, but. It, it, the proof is in the pudding. Absolutely. I think you've mentioned Bailey, this game against Norfolk State. 
I think we we were watching him live, like, the game just slowed down for him. He was playing more comfortably, playing within himself, playing within the offense, doing really everything. Uh, it was really, really refreshing to see him dish out. I think he had, what, four or five assists that game. Uh, he was scoring the ball a little easier. He, his shot looked more relaxed and less rushed. Um, but but on top of that, like, he... And he still has a long way to go here, but which is scary to think about. But he plays defense, and he plays defense hard. Like, he's he's a willing defender. He wants to, you know, stop the guy in front of him. And he doesn't play with that same insane intensity that I think Jalen Clark does. But it is clear to me when you watch him on defense, like, he is not going to let the guy go by like, if he can help it. And that is, I think, something very, very rare to see in this this era of one-and-done, you know, AAU basketball players coming in for one year. Like, you don't see that with a lot of guys. And he's he's that rare, really high five-star recruit that fits that Mick Cronin mold. And you could see why uh, Cronin was attracted to him, but also why Bailey wanted to come here. Uh, he just, he's been flashing a little bit more, and it, that's good to see now. The other thing I, I we didn't mention a lot of um, was was a Dambona. He was he showed a little bit more offense than I have given him credit for. He showed us some post moves in this game. Now he wasn't, you know, it was not like he's dominating from there. But for somebody who we've said has been super raw in offense, you know, let's not expect a whole lot from him on that front. I also think he's ahead of schedule of where we thought he would be at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the keys to moving the ball last game was that we played, we were able to play more inside out. We were able to get the ball in early. And then Adembona um, usually made a good outlet pass or got the right guy involved. Or if he had a good matchup, just went up with it and succeeded more enough times there to where, you know, you have to respect that. Uh, and I thought that was a big key on, you know, why we moved the ball so much better last game. You know, the other interesting thing is, you know, the, the two players that we haven't mentioned at all in this entire conversation are the ones that were supposed <laughs> to be our All-Americans coming into the year. And you might say, I mean, Jaime Haka is, is probably underwhelmed so far this year. And and you know he's better than this, right? Now, now the good news is the three-point shot is back, I think you could say. It's not going to be 43%, which is what he's shooting right now. But but he, he, he's got some game from back there. Uh, but, but Jaime Haka and, and Tiger Campbell have not even scratched the surface. I mean, Tiger's got, had some some nice games in there, but but Jaime has not even scratched the surface for what he probably will do in these in some some of these games that we got upcoming over the next couple months. Yeah, absolutely. I think we saw Tiger take a little bit of a step back from his super uh, assertive like scoring game, and we saw him kind of step back into his normal Tiger mode. He he dished out seven assists this game. He scored eleven points, but he wasn't looking for a shot as much. In fact, I was so I was at the game and I could hear when, you know, Amari was on the court with Tiger and even and when Amari was on the court without Tiger especially, but I heard Mick Cronin yell several times like give Amari the ball, which I think is a is a good sign and it's telling to me like Mick Cronin is thinking, "Okay, I need to make sure I can utilize Amari Bailey to his full advantage here." He is a, a willing passer. He has good court vision. He can take people off the dribble. Like 
it is good to hear Mick Cronin vocalize that. Like, I heard that with my own ears. Like, he is trying to get get some offense running through him and focus on Amari Bailey, uh, which takes some of the stress off Tiger. Like, Tiger can then focus on facilitating more. He doesn't have to score all the time, like, if Amari's doing some stuff. So that it's, it's a good dynamic to have. I think it's also good to see him utilize freshmen. I know that dumb narrative has been been floating around, um, uh, especially with with Isaiah Collier spouting off some dumb shit as it um, after or before he committed to USC. But it's very clear to me that Mick Cronin will play freshmen when they are actually ready to play. We're seeing Bona, we're seeing Bailey play big minutes here. Yeah, I think it's been encouraging to see how he's tried to bring along Amari Bailey in these first couple games. Because, I mean, if we're honest, it, it was a slight worry for all of us. I think we all had faith that Mick would, would bring Amari along. But I think it's it's great that he's recognized that you don't bring a guy like Amari Bailey here to just be a defensive stopper. Like, he can do that, and he will do that, and he should do it. But you don't recruit those guys because just to come in and play the Jalen Clark role. You bring them in because they have a lot of other abilities that can take your team to the next level. And I think he's seen here that, look, he knows what Jalen Clark gives. He knows what Tiger and Jaime and David Singleton, he knows what those guys bring to the table. And I think he knows this, that you know the freshmen that we have, Amari and Adembona, getting them up to speed and to play to their potential for the one year that they will be here. Cause that's, I think I still think that's the, the only time that we're going to have with them. Um, but getting them to play to their potential in that year in, in the best role possible is again, it's what takes this team from being a pretty good top 10, 15 team to like a really elite national title contending team. Um, and I think Mick has seen that in the early going and he's trying to get that going the competition is going to step up a lot now this week. Um, and so, look, uh, all, all, all the teams essentially that are playing in Vegas this weekend have basically played a bunch of cupcakes uh, up to this point. And uh, it's going to be a big test now for us because it is one thing to do this against, you know, albeit I would say they're better cupcakes than usual. They're still low major schools. And the defense we're going to see this weekend from all these teams, I mean, all the four teams in Vegas pride their, their hands on they wear their hats on tough defense, getting deflections, suffocating the opponent. That's that's what all the the cultures of the teams that are playing this weekend are. And so I think it's a good test for us to to see if we can replicate what we're doing and continue to improve against that level of competition. Now, yeah, I I agree, and and I think you you briefly mentioned this. Like Norfolk State isn't. A, a complete pushover team like th- that is an experienced team that made the tournament last season and is the exact type of team that could pick off a team like UCLA or, or a, a good team early on in the season um they have a lot of, of experience they're highly skilled like the, it, they they were not somebody that I was going to just overlook and say okay we're gonna blow them out we blow that blew that team out with efficiency like Six minutes into the game, we had walk-ons in. Or, sorry, not into the game. Six minutes left. Six minutes into the game would have been something. But <laughs> with six minutes left, six Russell Stong entered the game. Yep. For reference. This is also a team that, you know, if we're looking at common opponents here, we will hopefully play Baylor on Sunday. Um, they won 
against Norfolk State by 17. We beat them by 30. Obviously, transitive property in sports doesn't always work, but it's it's something to compare. So just based on that, we'll see. Like, how ready are we for these this step up here? I, I think we'll be ready. I think it'll be good games. Uh, I think Illinois, you know, has some has some talent. Obviously, they have the the transfer from Texas, uh, whose name is Texas escaping Tech. me. Yep, Texas Taryn Tech. Shannon. Shannon. Yeah. So sh- Taryn Shannon, they 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 replace a lot of guys. Um, they they basically got a whole new roster. But you know, the early returns post against Kofi Coburn, right? Right. Post Kofi Coburn, the early returns. I mean, they they've. They played a really bad schedule so far. Like you can say UCLA, like you said, uh, you know Norfolk State. They they're they've been a tournament team a couple years in a row now, I think. And this year they're expected to win their league with the Player of the Year on their team in that league. Uh, Long Beach State is expected to contend for the Big West, um, so that's there as well. Um, the teams that Illinois have played, they're they're like in the three bottom two hundreds to three hundreds in Ken Palm. Like that's that's how bad they are. Um, but that said, the early returns are, are good. It, they're all, it's a Brad Underwood coach team. They're always going to play good defense. They're going to be tough. Um, I, I think it's going to be a matter of, you know, can, can UCLA impose their stamp on the game and, and make them uncomfortable enough to where, you know, some of that stuff that you do in, against cupcakes of, of, you know, trying certain things out and getting other guys comfortable, like then it becomes a matter of, you know, what do you run in a tight game? And, Who's the guy you really have to go to when you need a bucket? If you could get them in kind of that kind of mode, um, you know, you would hope that from there, um, it, 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 it really is, it's just going to come, come down to which team could do that to the other. Um, so we have to see if UCLA can do there. Um, Baylor and Virginia. Uh, I'll talk first about Baylor. I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for Baylor. Um, watching them play, because uh, I, I, I've seen them play enough over the years they suffocate teams. They really suffocate them. Um, really high pressure on defense. Hands are moving all over the place. Uh, in many ways, like it's it's like the peak level usually of what Mick Cronin wants to be doing. Um, you know, guys always looking for deflection, steals. Um, but then on offense, it's a three point shooting barrage. Um, and and you know you, you really gotta again their face to 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 challenge their shots. Virginia is Virginia. They're always solid. So. Three really good teams, and I think UCLA has to win at least one of these games this weekend. If not, I would love to see them win both, obviously. But I think we got to at least win one. If we win both, I think that's when this really starts to feel legit. Like, this this really is going to get really hyped real soon. Yeah, and we always you always have to take some of these early games with a grain of salt, right? This team today, or even this weekend... It's not going to be the same team in March or even February. We've seen this time and time again with McCronin teams. When tournament time rolls around, this team generally is significantly better. And I feel like we're playing at a level right now that I wasn't expecting to see until end of December or January. They, they're playing with a lot more cohesiveness than I, I think they that I was expecting from them. And I think a lot of fans were probably not expecting it. So it feels like we're ahead of schedule, which is great. I think it helps to have two you know guys like uh, Tiger Campbell and Jaime Jaquez and Jalen Clark all coming back with a lot of experience under their belts. Uh, and it makes me think that potentially we might be able... Like we, if we could beat these two teams... 
we're you're right. We're gonna be on that trajectory of being one of those those teams that should be contending for the title at the end of the year. It feels like a wide open field this year, at least so far. There's been a lot of weird upsets. I mean, Gonzaga just got creamed by Texas. I think UNC struggled a little bit more than I think anyone was expecting to. Uh, so those top top teams, you know, they've they've been in trouble. I think Duke. Did Duke lose or was Duke, Duke down lost. at one point? Duke lost. Yeah, so Duke lost to Kansas. All these teams that were expected to be super incredibly good this year are very pretty early on, like in the first week, are, are losing. Uh, so we'll see. I, I think UCLA has a big opportunity here. I, I think we have the right mix. And based on the first three games, based on this game against Norfolk State, I, I think we're a little bit ahead of schedule. And that's... that's mm-hmm. Nothing but a good thing. I do think that, unfortunately, there is some pressure on us to, again, at least win one of these games. Because the Pac-12 conference this year, I mean, my God. Uh, the, 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 the early returns on this are, are, are not good. Arizona's looked pretty good in their games. Um, again, albeit against very mediocre Horrible competition, teams. right? Um, but they, they, they've at least won all their, all their games. Because, like, the other teams are losing to the horrible teams. Right, like they're like Oregon like, lost. Oregon lost to UC Irvine. USC went and lost to Florida Gulf Coast, and this is I almost make, lost to Vermont. Almost lost to Vermont. Washington went and lost today to. Uh, I'm looking at it right now because it was such a bad team. I don't remember who it was. Uh, California Baptist. They they lost to them. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's not good. So like mm. the, the quality wins are are not going to be there in this league. Like Colorado, they went and beat Tennessee, and then today they went to lot and lost to like I think they lost to like Maine today. Uh, no, it's UMass. <laughs> they lost to UMass. So yeah, like there goes that that shine. And then like the real worst team in the league right now is our other UC friend, uh, Cal, who is oh, going God. and losing to like every other UC that exists. Like they they they're losing to UC Davis and UC San Diego. <laughs> uh, Stanford's also lost already. I think they they played San Diego State, who's ranked, but they still lost pretty badly. Yeah, they've they've had two kind of good games early, and they've lost both of them. So uh, it Arizona looks like Arizona State be... upset Michigan, though. Yeah, so that's that, that did happen today. Yes, but. I also think Arizona State has already lost a game to some random-ass team, Texas Southern. So, you know, there's some, some good and bad there. But so the point, point being, stands, yeah. we need to win one of these games because if we don't and then we don't win this conference, like, we're going to be a six seed. It's, <laughs> like, whoever finishes, like, like, second or third in this conference, like, after second, six seed is an overreaction. But you get my point. Like, we, if we don't get one of these games, then we really got to win this conference because uh, it's bad. It's really bad. It is definitely not good. <laughs> we'll put it that way. There's uh, some other opportunities, right? You have Maryland coming up. who will be a solid team on the road. We, we hopefully can build a little bit of... Uh, yeah, and, I, and I expect I expect Oregon to improve. This happened to them a little bit last year, too. Um I, I fully expect that Dana Altman, I, I just think he's too good of a coach to where they're going to be better by league play. But right yeah. now they're horrible. And what you hope doesn't happen is like they take, because like they got a tough schedule. I'm looking at their schedule right now. They're playing Houston next. They're not beating Houston. 
Um, and then they got UConn after that. And then they start like league play before going into some other non-conference games. Like this is something that can get away from them pretty quickly to where like there, it's going to be a situation like last year. Like they have to win some of these, those high fidelity conference games against us or against Arizona. Um, and we all know how that goes. So. Yeah. And we have the big, big game against Kentucky who also already lost to Michigan state. So we, your point stands, we need to win one of these big games to build our, our resume up. Well, at this point, I'll go back to talking about Cal. They're shit in the bed in every sport, man. Uh, like, and they're picking a great time to do it. Like, in basketball right now, they're losing to all the UCs. Like, we just talked about how Long Beach State could contend for the Big West. I'm not sure Cal could compete in the Big West because, like, they're losing to all these other Big West teams. Um, this is why I said before, like, I don't think we're losing to Cal in football. Like, they're they're just so bad in, in football as well. And they're picking a great time to do this while all this stuff with the UC Regents is going on. Yeah, it's, you know, the UC Regent clown show continues. That's that's my read on it. Now, I think, you know, we were chatting about this earlier today. For, for those who don't know, UC Regents had another meeting talking about UCLA's Big Ten move. There's been a survey that went out to 600 students at UCLA, 600 athletes, student athletes. I believe only 20% responded, but overwhelmingly, it was like 90% of folks were perfectly fine or indifferent to the move. There was basically zero pushback, zero negative data coming out against it. Um, you know, they, they assess some of the, the spending around travel and, and that kind of stuff. And shocker, it was nearly not, not nearly as big as what George Klikov was, was spouting off about. And basically it's, it's, it feels like another more of a nothing burger. The data again is showing this move makes sense. UC Regents had another meeting today. Basically did nothing and said, okay, we're going to make the final, we'll make the final call announcement, whatever, on December 14th. Again, kicking the can down the road. My my take on this, it feels like they're just trying to track this out as long as they possibly can to get as much uh, press or clout out of this as, as they can. So, so we an article in the New Isaiah. York Times, uh, yeah, so an article mm-hmm. in New York Times has come out about that meeting. Um, so it's an article by Billy Witts, and I was just reading this before, you know, we, we started here today. Um, but apparently the reason that they are delaying that meeting um, is because they the, the Pac-12 and, and George Kliakov, sent them a bunch of propaganda, right? That, like, the, the media deal for for the conference, if UCLA were to stay, is going to be, like, you know, $45 million per school, maybe more. And right now, they don't have any comparative data to go off of when UCLA says, you know, hey, we're going to make this much in the Big Ten, and we're just going to reinvest a little bit of that to, like, to offset these very marginal costs that we're talking about. Um, supposedly, the... Regents are waiting for the Pac-12 to come and say what their actual expectation is. 
And what's complicated is that the Big 12 has gone around and actually completed their media negotiation for a deal that's going to be worth $31.7 million per school. And at that point, like, the Pac-12 can't even fold UC Regents with this, right? Like, they have to kind of give a haircut on their projections. And so, supposedly, that's what's holding this up. Like, basically, George Kliakoff is trying to sell a bunch of fool's gold and hoping the UC Regents eat it up. And, you know, to somehow convince them that the math is not what, like, UCLA thinks it is. Look, they can keep holding this up. They can keep presenting whatever numbers like i i don't see a way out of this at this point like this is moving everyone's assuming and operating like it's moving they're just again they're wasting time and effort and probably wasting more taxpayer money through this whole process than if they just let it go through without fighting it or trying to make a big stink about it it's it's pretty stupid at this point i I do think that Isaiah brought up another point. Like there is the the UC wide union strike right now, which could be you know is probably a higher should be a higher priority than this athletics move, and they should be focused on that. So potentially that ate into some of the time that they were supposed to use to discuss this UCLA move. But broadly, again, there this is just dragging out for no good reason. They're making more of a sink and grandstanding about it. And I, at the end of the day, in, after next season, we will see UCLA in the Big Ten. I don't really have any doubts about that. Yeah, I, I don't either. I, I think all the regions and such also probably know that. What's happening right now basically is, you know, UCLA went and did this thing, and they moved to the Big Ten, and... They told some UC people about it. They didn't tell everybody, and they said, hey, stay hush about it. And then everyone else found out. The governor found out. And a bunch of these pro-Cal people have just, like, started to stink, right? Already, they're people who – the way the UC system works, right, they love everyone to be brought along for every major decision. That's why every, nothing gets done fast uh, in the UC system, right? Like, everyone has to go around for every decision, debate it until, like, the cows come home, and then finally you come to a resolution on something. And in this case, like, you have a combination of, you know, people who are a little butthurt combined with the fact that, like, and, and I'm not even going to throw an insult on this one. Like, people, they're just not very knowledgeable about athletics at all. That's not their job, right? Like, none of these people are athletic directors. And so what happens is you have a group of people who were not consulted and always love to be consulted and brought along into every move. And then they're given a bunch of stuff from George Klyakov and some people who are favorable to Cal that like, hey, Cal is going to be really impacted by this. Wait, what? Like, what do you mean? And then that throws everyone into, into this frenzy. And then you have George Klyakov sending him a bunch of stuff that says like, hey, we're actually going to get this much money. And these, this group of people here who knows nothing about sports, right? They know nothing about collegiate athletics, just takes all this information and says, oh, well, Maybe we really haven't thought about this Big Ten move. Maybe it's really not as good of an idea as UCLA thinks. And that's what's, that's basically, in, in my opinion, what's like drawn this whole thing out, right? Like a bunch of people who just don't actually know what's going on have been told things from other people. And they feel like we have to do these really sophisticated studies and surveys and stuff. Like 
you could have done the survey any time, right? Like you would have gotten these same results, um, but because of this whole process is going on, you have to like go ahead and do it. So that's what's going on in the end. I think everyone knows that they face legal action. They're probably gonna make some recommendations. There were some rumors that like, hey, they'll offer UCLA some extra cash and some extra payouts to stay in the Pac-12. But then you read that same article that came out today, like people are worried about that too, because that would create the exact same situation that they're trying to avoid with UCLA going to the Big Ten, right? Like UCLA gets more money than Cal. Um, so the well, whole not only are, that is you're you're then taking what taxpayer like state money and you're just giving it to the right 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 exactly exactly which which by the way we actually don't even take right now so for for athletics at least like it's a it's a self-funded uh department like so (laughs) the absurdity of that is like just mind-boggling to think that that would even be on the table or it'd be proposed. It, and and if I remember correctly, the rumor was that they would offer like remotely a hundred million dollar kind of lump sum or some sort of payout, which is insanely low compared to what they'd be making per year for from the Big Ten. But again, like when, that's what they're trying to avoid, right? They want they don't want a situation where like Cal doesn't get a ton of money that UCLA all of a sudden gets. Uh, but that's like exactly that's a, that's the precedent that they would set by like doing something like this. So, so again, none of it makes sense, right? These are people who don't know about collegiate athletics, and if if George Kliakov goes and tells them something, then they kind of just kind of eat it up. All they hear is, "Oh, Cal is going down," and "Oh, like the people are going to be traveling more. It's bad for the students and all this stuff." And UCLA, like again, they're in a kind of a tough spot here, right? Like Gene Block can't go and really fight the UC Regents. Like they're the hand that feeds them. Uh, he can't really go and do anything about it besides just like let the he process. He did present play today, it. if I if I he presented today because correctly. he was he was asked to present today on the findings of that study, right? And where and the reasons why UCLA is doing this, where he said, yeah, we were going to have to cut sports, and that survey sp- spelled it all out. They could have had to cut up to six sports and ended scholarships for eight others. I really don't know what what the, the difference is there, uh, but the survey kind of spelled all that out for them. At yeah. That, and- well, knowing knowing how Gene Block has generally operated at UCLA, he has been an academic focused chancellor. Like that has been his his tact, that has been his mission. He has, I would argue, largely dismissed or de-emphasized athletics as a whole. And when you, when you have that guy bought into this move, the guy who really, honestly, seems like he could not care less about sports. If that guy is the guy being like signing this off, you 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 think you have got to think like okay, like if that guy's in, this makes way too much sense to do for the school as a whole. And I gotta imagine they've they've covered their bases in terms of legalities and all that kind of stuff. And I I'm sure nobody wants this to go to some sort of long litigation. It's not good for anybody, but. Who knows at this point? I don't foresee that happening, but uh, I do love that. Um, I think Stuart Mandel tweeted out a quote from one of the regents who, to your point of these guys not knowing anything about sports in any capacity. The quote was, this was John Perez, the uh, one of the regents who's been very anti-UCLA moving to the Big Ten. He said about this meeting. 
<laughs> I can't even say this with a straight face because it's such a stupid quote. Yeah, because it's so dumb. He said, this was a call that was made on the field, and now we're reviewing the call, seeing if there's some sus- substantive reason, substantive, sorry, reason why the call should be overturned. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, and again, th- this is the problem, right? Like, the horrible analogy. Like, he is already coming at the, like, so terrible analogy. He's probably had that, I think he's had that line saved up for, like, a month now, and he's been, like, waiting to say it to somebody, and, like, he's he just, just practicing finally said it, it right? in the mirror in front of his wife, being like, I, hey, I think so, like, I, yeah, so, so, like, that's probably what's going on there. Again, you have someone with a very pro-Cal agenda who's probably going to, like, already start from that standpoint of, like, oh, they're taking money away from Cal, which, for, by the way, like, again, like, no one's taking money from Cal. Cal is not going to lose any money by doing this. Like, they're going to get a media deal that, at the very worst, will be the exact same as it is today, right? Like, so, so like, the, the opportunity cost maybe is lost, but, like, there's no actual literal loss for, for Cal. So, like, that's, that's number one. And then, like, number two, like, they're going to lose money for Cal. The Pac-12 sending him a bunch of numbers that, like, he feels that he has to go and research and everyone has to go and research and then talk about it's how much average flight times everyone's spending. And then that's what makes these people feel like they're actually like looking after the best interests of like students, right? Cause that's what they're supposedly there to do. So again, you just got to let all that go. And, and look, I'll say this um, to all the fans of the PAC 12, to all the fans of all these schools, and I'll even include Cal in here for now. I am very sorry that you have to all stay in this garbage pile of a conference. I am very, very, very sorry. Like, I, I understand your pain. I don't want to be here anymore for a second longer. Like, just look at this football stuff, man. Like, how do you make tiebreak rules like this? And it was all made in, <laughs> in an attempt to try to get a Pac-12 team into the college football playoff. And they're probably going to go against that exact same thing, right? And, and at this point, the Pac-12 has pretty much eliminated themselves unless SC kind of goes unbeaten here. But, like... The rules, the type of rules they've come up with basically go against competition. It makes no sense that, like, a head-to-head matchup would not be the top, like, tiebreaker in any of these scenarios. And then, like, I'll, I'll just throw some other weird things that I've been noticing lately. Um, so I was traveling this week, and UCLA was playing Norfolk State, so I wanted to, to watch the game, right? So I go to the Pac-12 app. So when the flagship pro basketball program mm, for luck. the conference, right, is is playing uh, in on the Pac-12 network... What do you think should be on the front, the, the home screen of the Pac-12 app? Uh, I would guess an advertisement or a link to watch that game. So on the front screen of the Pac-12 app was a replay of 2009 USC versus Stanford and then a <laughs> women's water polo game. I had to like click to UCLA and then click to basketball and then finally like click play. Right, like this is the product that the Pac-12 puts out there. And by the way, I watch enough Big Ten Network because I'm a Michigan fan too and I watch enough of that stuff. Like they don't do this shit, all right? Like they, they run that stuff a lot better than this. So look, I all fans of the Pac-12, like I am sorry. It, this this conference is terrible in so many ways and, and I've enjoyed being in it for all the competition and the all the all the different schools we've competed against. But like, it's just so bad. So I'm really sorry we're leaving you all behind. But I can't wait to get out of here. I really just can't. I mean, you can think of example after example with the Pac-12 
and Pac-12 network being horrible. My favorite one, recent one, also Norfolk State, that was called out to me was apparently instead of showing the highlights of UCLA, their conference member currently at least, but the the team that plays in the Pac-12 that they should be hyping up highlights as they dominated Norfolk State. What highlight do they chose choose to show us? Apparently, they show uh, number zero on Norfolk State, whose name I cannot remember. He had a good game. He had, he had a hell of a poster dunk on Adembona, who's obviously much bigger. It was impressive dunk. I will not discount that. But how the hell does your conference network put that highlight up at the end of a game over all the other highlights? Like, wow. Who who on their production team was like, yes, this is the one we're going to put up? As good as it was, when you should be advertising your own team yeah, from your conference. Let me, like, let, let me say another point about that Norfolk, Norfolk State game. Yeah, you're right. That was absolutely terrible. Like, that was really The pathetic. ineptitude is absurd. Like, it's... The score was reason. wrong for, like, many points in that game. Like, just <laughs> literally, like, the score was wrong. Like, <laughs> I remember before halftime, I'm like, something's not right here. Like, we just... we we. We're like a point or two off. It doesn't make sense. And then like they go into halftime and the announcers all say, oh, at halftime, the score is UCLA 47. I, I forgot how much uh, Norfolk State had. And then I'm like, no, this isn't right. And then I go on ESPN and the score is different. It's the actual like score that it actually is, right? Because like we had a free throw somewhere in there and then they didn't count that. And like that happened at multiple points throughout the game. Like, what are we doing here? So, so again, like for everyone that is complaining about staying in the Pac-12 and not having USC and UCLA in it. I sympathize. I really do. But I'm very sorry. Like, I can't take this. I, if, if I have to watch 8 p.m. games in the Midwest for on Pac-12 Network, like, I, I finally understood the pain that we talk about when we talk about, like, going to the East Coast and watching, like, West Coast games. Like, I'm up until, like, 1231 watching the stuff on the Pac-12 Network who can't even show the proper score. Like, I, 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 I understand the pain now. I really do. Yeah, no, it, it sucks for the, the existing teams. And I, I didn't want to see the Pac-12 gutted, but I can't blame UCLA or Southern Cal for moving out of this shithole of a conference. But I will say this. Fuck Cal. I don't care about them. Yeah, again, like they're, they're they're choosing a real swell time to like be bad at every sport. Besides, I, I think like men's water polo where they're number one right now. Like volleyball is bad, men's soccer is bad, football is bad, basketball is bad. Like, I think volleyball is bad too. Like, I I think literally everybody is is just like shitting the bed right now. And meanwhile, like football and basketball are like historically bad right now. Like Cal, they, they fired the offensive coordinator mid-season for football and basketball like they may not even be like they might be one of the worst ucs like like uc santa barbara's probably would probably beat them if like the other two ucs would like santa barbara's actually usually pretty good in the big west yeah there's always a solid basketball team yeah yeah i i don't feel any i i have i don't feel any brotherhood with cal as another uc i don't feel like any obligation to pulling them along with us as another UC. I, I've appreciated and always enjoyed the history of playing against them, obviously for, you know, close to a hundred years, over a hundred years. And that, and that is what I think I'm the saddest about of losing the PAC 12 is all that history. But 
completely. It's 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 a survival move at this point, and I, I'm sorry, Cal. Just the brand isn't there. The sports suck. Like the brand hasn't ever been there for for Cal as a as a sporting uh, school. The market in the Bay is not there for college athletics. Like it's just not as big. Like there's all these factors that make Cal just not as attractive. And that sucks for them. But, like, I don't care about them. I really don't. So hopefully on December 14th, uh, you know, we can sort this stuff up and just move on. Because it, it, it's just, it's embarrassing to see this stuff being covered, man. Like, like, Dude, wh- like it's it's the government. They're going to punt it after the new year. Like, you know, this is going to go on. I wouldn't be surprised if this goes on until UCLA actually moves. Possibly, it really could possibly just be that. But again, like it's like just seeing this stuff being covered in the, in the media the way it is, right? Where like people are just confused. Like, wait, I just thought they had to move to the Big Ten. Like, what what's going on? And then you night you start to see kind of at the at it, it it's exposed to everybody the kind of stuff that like UCLA has to deal with when you like you fund any kind of athletic project or propose any kind of change to the athletics department like these are the kind of things that ucla has to do so you know hopefully all this stuff finishes up but but yeah man it's 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 weird it's bad ucla just needs to drum up the big 10 like academic alliance they have a a partnership through the big 10 with all the schools that i think they collaborate on a lot of research and academic efforts like which is a, a cool thing, and I, I don't know if the Pac-12 has anything like that, and they might, and if they do, it's obviously not publicized very well because it's the Pac-12. We should just, let's drum that up. Like, if that's what it takes, like, let's just go at it at every angle just to put this to bed. It's it's just, it is annoying, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this drags on yeah. for a lot longer than it should. Yeah. And overall, I'd say UCLA is handling it pretty well. They're just kind of letting this storm ride, letting the UC regents look bad. Because I think everyone watching this stuff is like, who are these weird old people talking about stuff they have no idea about? Um, is, is I think generally the reaction that's that's coming out from this. I think people realize that George Kliakov is making a bunch of stuff up. Um, so yeah, let's, I mean, let everyone talk Cal, for a Cal bit. Cal looks kind of desperate and petulant and... A little bit. Yeah, of all of it. Baby right all of it. Everyone's desperate. George is in a really bad negotiating position because the Big 12 has a media deal now at $31 million, And pretty much the only way that he can beat that is if he just goes all into like Amazon or Apple or some streaming service. But then like people are going to watch his games even less than they do now. So, you know, but I, I, go talk for a bit. I get it. Get your feelings out. And then we'll move to the Big Ten. Yeah. That that is accurate. <laughs> um, I think uh, so. I think that's that's all we have. I know this was a, a hefty one. There was a lot to talk about today, but yeah, we we go into a big weekend. I think we'll have Illinois on Friday. I think that game's at four o'clock for basketball. Then the the big doozy comes Saturday. Man, we'll we'll be there um, rooting hard and. Uh, and then Sunday we follow it up with some more basketball. So it's a big, big UCLA weekend. Fingers crossed for some dubs. That's all. That's all we can hope for at this point. Let's go three and zero.
Let's do it. Let's let's do it. Let's do it. All right. With that, we'll sign off and go Bruins. Go Bruins.